0: Last week I was careful to say that even after Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, no one standing there watching him repented. No one standing there watching him was converted. No one standing there was. But a man hanging on a cross beside him was changed, was converted, was repentant, and then converted. It's always been interesting to me that Jesus was crucified in between these two men. You would think that they would have crucified these two men beside each other. It appears, based on the text, that they were partners in crime. And you would think that they would have been placed together and then Jesus off to the side. But by God's providence, Jesus was in the middle thereby enabling you and me to hear this amazing exchange. Think about it. This was the last conversation Jesus had with another human being on earth. Three crosses. There's a theologian named Karl Barth, a very influential theologian of the 20th century, and he said said in a dramatic way, this was the first church. And what he was talking about was, you know, where two or three are gathered and they're the at least two on the cross who seem to be together and they are there in Jesus' name. But I, I want to disagree with Bart or just take it a step further because I think all the more the three people on those crosses represents more the conflict between the church and the world and the conflictedness of, of decision time, hanging in the balance between decision in terms of destiny, that's really what's going on here. Now three times Luke describes these men, these criminals as kakagorgoi, which, which in the Greek means those who do evil things. And that's, that's bad enough, but you look at Matthew and Mark and they are referred to as the lestai, the lestai. Uh, it literally means armed robbers. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, you had the Lesti. It was a band of Lesti who beat the man, robbed the man, left him lying there half dead. It was Lesti who did that. And so these two men are described as such. So these were two men who were convicted criminals of at least armed robbery who were known to be violent people. We might call them thugs today. That's the kind of person that they were. And here are these two criminals, you know, really hanging in the balance between one decision and another, going one way or another. I don't remember if I've ever shared this, but when my father was 19 years old, he was not living a Christian life by any stretch of the imagination. He was kind of a rough and tumble kind of guy. I know you can tell that a lot in me too, but really he was not living a... a, 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 we'll just say, a a good life at all. And he was badgered into going to a tent revival, yes, at North Kannapolis Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. He was badgered into going there, and he didn't want to go alone because this was kind of embarrassing, but he just knew that it would get these people off his back. And so he found a friend, a friend named Red Joins, and Red went with him, and they sat in the back of a tent that was constructed right beside the church building, and they sat back there like this as the service began didn't even stand up when people were singing, sitting down they just sat back there long story short while the preacher was preaching on there is a balm in Gilead something happened as you would have said in an old school way my father came under conviction the spirit was moving And out of all of that, after the invitation was given, my father went forward and simply knelt and said, Lord, here's my life, it's yours. At which point, Red Joins, who was sitting in the back, decided he didn't want to have anything to do with that, and he left immediately. And very shortly thereafter, he was arrested for murder. Two human beings hanging in the balance. You know, I mean... There are three crosses there, and Jesus is on one of them, but you and I are on one of the other two. We ourselves hanging in the balance of decision and destiny. That's just where it is. Could we bring it closer to home? Just this past week, one of my amazing ministerial students uh, was telling me at, at lunch about his high school years, which were not the most stellar of high school years, apparently, and he got into the wrong crowd, and uh, uh, I'll just say was not living his life right either, particularly was pulled in by a particular friend of his, but again, he made a new dedication to his faith in Christ and has been on fire ever since. That friend of his who kind of pulled him in is now, he didn't even make it to college, he's in prison as we speak. It's an open question as to where he is there hanging in the balance. Well, it's easy for us to keep it at, at arm's length. But let me just cut through it here and say that you're a thief as well. Exactly what Keith had us sing. We're thieves too. We're thieves daily. (laughs) Folks, this is as old as Adam and Eve. You know, they attempted armed robbery, (laughs) in a sense. They tried to take God's place. Tried to rob God of his sovereign throne. That was the original sin, wasn't it? They wanted to take his place and be like God. Isn't that what you and I struggle with day in and day out? We're trying to thieve God, rob God all the time. And unless we have really embraced that grace that he offers to us, we're still at a critical crossroads. We're thieves too. Do not read this passage and not find yourself in there. You are there. You're on one of those two crosses. We're all criminals in need of grace. Isn't it amazing? Even on the cross, Jesus is the source of controversy. There are some hanging there who support him, some who reject him, some who beg for mercy, some who disdain him and mock him. And one is lost and the other is found. And that's the whole miracle anyway. Jesus, the only fully righteous, fully holy person who ever lived, hung there and suffered there and died there. And he had this conversation with a thug who started to rethink his life right there at the brink of death. I am confident that at least part of it had to do with the fact that more than once he heard Jesus saying, we talked about this last week, it's likely that Jesus said this more than once, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. There was something in those words, no doubt how they were said, that struck something about this man on an incredible level, in his mind and in his heart. And obviously God was moving in him, and he made a step toward Jesus. And keep in mind, if you look at Matthew 27, I mean, he had been mocking Jesus just like everyone else in the crowd had been, just as his cohort had been on the other cross. He had been jeering at Jesus, ridiculing him. But something happened and he was changed. And it's amazing. What does he say? <laughs> he says, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. Let's break that down for a minute. He says, Jesus. <laughs> amazing. Why? It is the only place in the gospel record where someone calls him Jesus by his name, by the name that he was given. But remember what that means in the birth story. He was, they named him Jesus because it means what? He saves them from their sins. It's from the Old Testament name Joshua, Yeshua. God saves from their sins. I can't help but think. I can't help but think. I I don't think I'm over-idealizing when I think. He realizes there's something even about that name, about his name, that could lead him to something beyond this life. And that he was in need of deliverance. Now, Now, it says, Jesus, remember me. And don't, don't, again, don't fool yourself into thinking that what he is saying there is think well of me. You know, Help me to be a good memory for you. No, listen, remember me, that's a loaded phrase. Look at the Old Testament. Whenever it says that God remembers somebody, he delivers them from something, something very dire. Genesis 8, God remembered Noah and delivered him from the flood. Genesis 20 God remembered Abraham and therefore spared his nephew Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 30, he remembered Rachel in a way and delivered her toward becoming pregnant and having a child. Exodus 2, he remembered the covenant between Abraham and himself and that started the wonderful process of the Israelites being delivered from the bondage of Egypt. When he said, remember me, That was packed with significant, crucial meaning for this man. He was looking for deliverance, and he said, Remember me, when you get into your kingdom, or when you come into your kingdom. No doubt in my mind, and some people can say, Well, he really didn't know what he was talking about, or maybe he was even delirious. He really didn't know. You know what? On some level, with that type of statement, he knew that Jesus could be a source of deliverance from death, to life no doubt in my mind that he knew that that's why he's using that incredibly loaded language he knew somehow this man must be beyond this life and really might be the Son of God even as people are hurling epithets his way and teasing him about being God's son and it took courage to pray that prayer think about it it really was a petition Jesus's first prayer was a petition on the cross Father forgive them. And then he issues a petition himself, which is what, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That took guts to do. Why? Just a few minutes ago, or maybe a few hours ago, he had joined in with the masses, with the majority who were doing what? Taunting this man claiming to be the son of God. He was mocking Jesus himself. Think about that. Even on the cross, he's doing that. But at some moment, it turned as it so can even today with people with their hearts and something turned he went against the soldiers who were laughing at jesus and the religious leaders who were who were so derisive about jesus and the crowd that was just saying all these hateful things toward him he turned and went against the majority there how willing are you and i to do that even on a regular basis and what does jesus say Truly this day can you can you finish it truly this day you will be with me in what where paradise and i know i talk about this a lot paradise paradiso in the greek literally means what does anybody remember garden you will be with me in the garden what's interesting is it's it's a greek term that's transliterated from an earlier persian word that literally means the king's garden i think that's so cool it means the king's garden the persian emperors the persian rulers had this amazing garden. It was a walled-off garden and was just lush and gorgeous. And it was a high honor to be able to pass through the gates into that garden and just relish it, savor it. It really was, in a sense, as we would say, a gift or a grace to be able to go into that garden. Now now think about this, because really, the gospel story begins in a garden of Eden. and Because of the fall, we had to leave. Fast forward to the Gospel of John. He had to go to the what? Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Fast forward a little bit further. Look in the Gospel of John, even on Golgotha, on Calvary. Apparently, it was a part of a garden or there was a garden close by. It says that. And fast forward just a little bit more. Mary Magdalene, who is so crestfallen, she's walking toward the tomb where she knows Jesus is. She looks up and she sees someone help me with this somebody, and she mistakes him for being a, what, does anybody know? (laughs) Gardener. And in one sense, she was wrong. In another sense, she was right. He was the gardener, the creator gardener. Now, what's all this saying? I think with these words, you know, to a dying criminal, Jesus is saying, you know what? The gates have been flung open and whosoever makes a decision can, by their own volition and by their own decision, which hangs there in the balance, can move on into the garden once again. And it's a garden with no curse. And think about that. It's a garden with no curse. No garden. It's a garden with no terminal illness, with no warfare, with no strife, with no anxiety, with no schedules to keep, no grief, no pain, no hurt. And, and, and what's so great, you know, he, he says, I go and prepare that place for you, John 14. And the first person he prepared that place for, at least from earth, was this, was this criminal. Somebody we would see on Crime Stoppers on TV, you know, a criminal. And I just think that's wonderful. I think of what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said, this man who was our Lord's last companion on earth was his first companion at the gates of paradise. And in the end, we're all going to get to that garden and be with him. And in the end, we're going to be, gosh, Ethan, I love that song. Cielo is the name of it, whatever. Beautiful song. I walk in, I'm breathing in and out grace. And and I can't sing loud enough. I can't bow low enough. I can't raise my arms high enough. Powerful song. I just thought, yes, that's what it's going to be like. I I want you to just take a minute and muse on that. Savor that notion that, you know, it's going to be a reunion with fellow Christ followers, but it's going to be a grand reunion with people, most of whom we don't know, like I said. And I think it's gonna be cool, you know, to see Martin Luther, oh yeah, you died in 1500s, right? oh, well, yeah, 2000, whatever, you know? And I just think it's gonna be an amazing reunion. In fact, there's a video, that, and, and I'm showing you this for a reason, and I just love it. This was from a University of South Carolina football game. It was posted last October during football season. It's, it's a woman and her two children, and her husband, their dad, has been serving overseas. I think it's in Afghanistan, and they haven't seen him in a long time. And they put him up on the jumbotron to give a special greeting to them, which was kind of cool. You know, he's up on the jumbotron giving them. They thought they were just being honored because of their, you know, because of their dad, their, their, their wife. Uh, uh, you know, but, but again, he's up on the jumbotron and has a special message for them, and maybe a little more. But let's, let's just watch it. And to my children, I just can't believe the stuff that you have to go through. It seems like every time that you get into a new school and you make new friends, you turn around and have to leave. Most fathers pride themselves in wanting their family to look up to them. But I have to admit that I'm the one that looks up to y'all. Um, I'd like to thank the University of South Carolina and the family work of for giving my family this opportunity. And this is something that we'll need for the rest of our lives. Because I really would like to be here to watch the game beat up on the nose today. I like something special you. Maybe I know you're probably getting a little emotional right now out there in the field. But you need to let that go. Enjoy this day. You've earned it. And just keep in mind that my tour is almost over. And I'll see you real, real soon. Some way, shape, and form in ways that we cannot even begin to comprehend with our own finite, limited comprehensions. In some ways that that are of a reality, that, that, that is a reality that we will not understand on this side of it. In some way, in some form, on some level, I think it's going to be like that. For now, we can hear the words of Jesus and hear the words from Holy Scripture and be comfort, comforted, comforted from a distance, just like the family was as they watched him and heard his words. But one day, it's going to be face-to-face reunion and a lot of praise. Talk about breathing grace in and out and not able to, to sing loudly enough and bow down low enough and, and reach high enough. With one another and with those who have gone on before us, but all the more seeing him face to face, can it be any better than that? But, but, but i got to say, it boils down to a decision that hangs in the balance for you. Again, Jesus is on one of those crosses, but you're on one of the other two, and so am I. And it takes a critical decision on your end. So what will be yours? And and I don't know if it's just because I'm a minister. I guess it is. I have had more than one person in my lifetime come up to me and say, yeah, I've heard about all this religion stuff and this Jesus stuff, and that's fine, and I'll get to it one day. But I'm going to be like that dying thief on the cross. I'm going to live life on my terms the way I want to, and then right when I get to the end, you know, then I'll give myself over to him. That just sounds like a good plan for me. Two problems with that. Number one is you don't know when you're going to breathe your last. It could be 50 years from now. It could be a minute from now. You just don't know. And secondly, I think that's a poor understanding of that text because that was not the last opportunity this man had. It was the first opportunity he had. I wonder if it's the first opportunity for someone in here. Because that's where things are. To give you an update, by the way, my father found out in 1996, and this was. Decades later, that his friend Red Joins who left the tent that morning after dad went forward to receive Christ into his heart. Red Joins was released from prison because it was discovered that he was not the perpetrator of the murder, and so he had reduced time. And then years later, in 1996, just a little while before he died, that repentant thief, criminal, gave his life to Christ. My friend, my student at Sanford... It's still an open question as to what decision his friend will make. But what about you? What about you? Let's let's pray for just a moment. And I want you to consider in your own life ways that you have been (laughs) robbing Christ of his proper place in your life. It might be that you've never even embraced him as your Savior and Lord and maybe this is the day to do just that. Maybe you've been faking it all along the way, and this time you really want it to be an authentic turn toward Him. Or maybe you are a believer, but really your, your walk with Him has waned thin. You're not where you are with Him as you want to be. You're not following Him so nearly. You, you just feel like really there's a dryness, there's an aridity. It's just arid as far as your, your walk with Him, and you want it to be full again. Lord, we pray especially for those in here today for whom the life of faith right now is difficult or maybe it's non-existent. We pray especially for those, uh, those fellow criminals hanging on crosses whose, whose lives are in the balance and who need to make that decision. And may they know that it's, this is not just to get fire insurance. It determines a destiny that begins even now. Eternal life begins now. We're not saved from something. We're saved to something. And what a gift it is to anticipate ultimately stepping through those gates into the king's garden. And Lord, we pray especially for those who have not made that decision yet in their own lives. And we pray for those of us also who are believers but really have gotten to a point where it's it's not meaning what it should and we're not living as we should. And we need a new walk with him. We need to turn something around. We ask that even now as we enter into this time of singing and praise that we would ponder our status with you at this point, oh God. Just help us to do that as we sing together. We pray these things in your name. Amen.